Hello and welcome to the first of what is hopefully a very few quarantine sermons. Um, Even though it isn't quite business as usual, we're getting back into our series in the book of Revelation. Uh, I think it's pretty great how we timed our series in this book to coincide with the actual end of the world. Yeah. So uh, this morning, or whenever it is that you're listening to this, uh, we're going to look at the letter to the gospel messenger of the church in Philadelphia. That's present-day western Turkey, not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, This is the sixth out of seven letters that Jesus has John send to the churches in Asia Minor. And it pairs with the second letter, the second of the seven letters, uh, which was to the church in Smyrna, as the only two letters out of the seven that lack any call to repentance. Uh, So Jesus just commends both of these churches for their faithfulness, And he gives them encouragement to endure and to hold fast to him and to the word of his gospel. So that's what we'll talk about. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Holy Lord Jesus, you sent this word to our brothers and sisters long ago. And now as we consider it together, by the power of your spirit, make us alive to hear it and to be helped by it and move us to enduring faithfulness to you in everything that we face. Uh, We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, So Revelation 3, beginning in verse 7. And to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works, Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the time of Christ and the apostles, there were Jewish communities spread abroad, dispersed outside Palestine, in major cities throughout the Roman Empire and other parts of the world. These communities would usually have a synagogue in their city. It was a place for meeting together as a Jewish community on the weekly Sabbath. The synagogue was always the first stop of the apostles as they went on their missionary journeys with the good news about Jesus because the apostles were Jews carrying news about the Jewish Messiah, first to their Jewish brothers and sisters and then to the Gentiles. So they first proclaimed Christ to the ones who were supposed to be expecting him. Sometimes the Jews would be receptive to their message about Jesus. Sometimes great numbers of them would believe, as we have recorded in the book of Acts, Sometimes even the rulers of the synagogues would believe. But sometimes they were met with such hostility in the synagogues that representatives from those synagogues would chase them 
not only out of their own towns, but from town to town, to try to silence them from proclaiming Jesus as Lord and Christ. In John's Gospel, we see the same kind of hostility directed toward the man who had been born blind after Jesus gave him the gift of his sight. We see this in John 9, verse 22. It says that the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So we understand that in some cases, Jewish hostility toward Jesus and his followers meant a pretty severe rejection and exclusion from their community. And it sounds like this was the case in Philadelphia. Probably there were Jews there who believed in Jesus, but a majority of the synagogue, or maybe the rulers of the synagogue, didn't believe and excommunicated the believers from their synagogue. They would have charged the Jewish Christians with a betrayal of their Jewish roots. They would have charged them as traitors to the kingdom of David. They would have shut them out, slamming the door in their faces and locking it, forbidding them to return to the worship and community that they had known all their lives. And it seems like the pastor himself had experienced this kind of an exclusion because most of this letter is uh, directly addressed to him. It's a terrible irony, considering the name of the city, Philadelphia, which literally means brotherly love. And Jesus understands the painful situation that was faced by his people there, and he exposes the unbelieving Jews as false, false brothers. They... They were the ones who had betrayed their Jewish roots. They were the traitors to the kingdom and to the lineage of David. It says in verse 9 of our passage, they say that they're Jews but are not. And Jesus calls them the synagogue of Satan, which is the strongest language that he could use to say that they have taken the side of the enemy, the devil, in his fight against God and the Messiah. On the other hand, Jesus identifies himself in verse 7, as the true one who has the key of David. So he's the only true Jew who has never betrayed his roots, who has always been loyal to the kingdom of David, who is the true son of David. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And Jesus has loved this faithful pastor in Philadelphia. He has received him into his kingdom. He has included him in his own royal work of gospel proclamation. And not only this, But Jesus will make those unbelieving Jews to know it. Jesus definitely doesn't say, I'll teach those Jews that you were right all along. And he probably doesn't just mean, I'll show them they're going to regret how they've treated you. I'll take vengeance upon them. The language here really seems to indicate that Jesus was actually going to bring these false hostile Jews into the true worship and community of the church. It says in verse 9, Behold, I will make them come and bow down. And that word means worship, really. I'll make them come and worship before your feet. And they will learn, they will know that I have loved you. Jesus has the key of David, which means he is in charge of closing and opening doors. He is the one who excludes or includes. He's the one who controls the flow of traffic in and out of his kingdom. And he says to this wounded pastor and to the church in Philadelphia, in verse 8, Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. He's saying, there are going to be people coming into the kingdom. I have spoken. It means that even those who are most hostile to him, enemies of God and persecutors of his people, will learn of Jesus' love. And come and join us in the church and bow 
in repentance and in worship, and no one can stop it from happening once Jesus has decreed it. It's just like he said in Matthew 16, which is the gospel reading in our abridged liturgy for this week, that upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the confession, the same confession that gets people expelled from synagogues and excluded from all kinds of communities of origin, that upon this confession, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He has the keys to those gates too. It doesn't feel like it can be true when you experience exclusion because of your confession of faith in Christ, but Jesus is able to clear the way, even for the very people who exclude you, to be included among his people and bring them into the church. It happened with me. I was an outspoken opponent of God and Christianity, and I hardly even know what happened, but that he wore down my defenses and brought me to his side. And after I became a Christian, one of my college friends said, I knew it was going to happen because you were so desperate to be included. At first I thought it was pretty insulting, but actually it's absolutely true. I went around excluding people for their faith, but really I was longing to be included. My Christian friends kept including me, even though I kept trying to exclude them. And finally, the Holy Spirit took away my resistance and made me receptive. And I trusted Christ and came to know his love. And I think that's something like what happened in Philadelphia. I quoted Rodney Stark last week. He's got another chapter in his book, The Rise of Christianity, where he argues that we've got good reason to believe that actually the early mission to the Jews was fairly successful, that they were a significant source of converts to the church for centuries. And the way our passage talks about it, the Jews excluded the Christians from the synagogues, but Jesus was going to bring them around, at least some of them, through the enduring faithful gospel ministry of the church. So it's like when Paul writes about his hopes for Jewish converts in Romans 11. He hopes that the Jews who reject Christ and who persecute the church would ultimately become jealous of what the church has in Christ and that they would repent and believe and join the church in true worship. Jesus is the one with the power to make this kind of thing happen. And he encourages the church in Philadelphia to continue in their faithful proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. He promises in verse 12 that the one who conquers I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven and my own new name. So the Philadelphian Jews shut the Christians out of synagogues and people in our lives might exclude us from communities that are very important to us. But Jesus promises an inclusion that comes from God. Jesus promises such a security of community and belonging that it is his own name and God's own name and the name of the city of his God that he himself will write upon us. Our belonging will be permanent and irreversible. Never shall he go out of it, he says. And our inclusion among God's people will be structural. Not only will we be in the temple, we will be the temple. We'll be pillars in the temple 
which means he will use our presence in the church. He'll use our ministry in the church to support others as he adds them in and as he grows and builds his church. When we suffer exclusion because of our Christian confession, Jesus turns the key and click. We're included among his precious people. And he swings the door wide and others will be added to the church even during the worst of times. So Leslie Newbigin said that the church is in God's keeping. We do not have the right to be anxious about it. We have our Lord's word that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The crux of the matter is that we have been chosen to be the bearers of good news for the whole world. We have good news for the world to hear that because Jesus was willing to be excluded by his own people, he now has the key to the kingdom to let people in who trust in him. He was an outcast, forced outside the old Jerusalem to die in order to bring into existence a new Jerusalem with open doors that no one can close, where if Jesus says you belong, no one can tell you otherwise. We have this message. The Lord Jesus will claim you in front of anybody. And there's a world full of excluded people who need to hear that. There are even a lot of excluders out there. Angry, belligerent, mocking, even violent persecutors whom Jesus will bring to repentance and faith and worship and full inclusion as he uses our faithful gospel proclamation to build his church. People around us might not appear to be receptive to the gospel. <clears throat> but that's all right. Jesus opened doors that, opens doors that no one can shut. We might not have much power. We might be weak and timid and tired. But that's all right. Jesus has all power and authority in heaven and on earth. We can move out in faith and hope and love, even if that also means just going out in poverty and brokenness. So let's not shy away from suffering a bit of temporal exclusion like our Lord himself suffered in order to participate in eternal fellowship and bring others into it. Amen.